Abba Father, we're going to talk about some hard things this morning and hard conversations. So we would just ask that you please give words this morning. Holy Spirit, give words that would fit this occasion, this Sunday morning, so that your people would be built up for every good work as we grow towards maturity together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scriptures this morning are a selection of verses from the book of Proverbs. You may follow along on the screen or find them printed on the back of your program. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but the man of understanding draws them out. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This is God's word. Asking for increasing vacation time. Increased vacation time. That might be a right thing to do, but not normally during the height of audit season. Talking about physical intimacy with your wife is right, but not within the first week of her giving birth to your child. Complimenting someone while they are crying Correcting someone while they are doing it and in front of their peers. Talking politics at the dinner table with your in-laws. Telling a woman congratulations when you're not 100% sure she's pregnant. These are examples of the right words, but at the wrong time. Now, as as we step back and we look again, we just take a review at why we have this book called Proverbs. Why is it that God included this book in the Bible? See, see, God gave his law to us to distinguish between right and wrong. And that includes the right words to use and the wrong words to use. And then he gave the prophets to help remind his people of what's right and what's wrong and of the consequences of doing either or, the blessings and the curses of saying what's right saying what's wrong, doing what's right, doing what's wrong. Proverbs gives us wisdom for those gray areas. And and Proverbs actually says that you can have the right words to say, but they can be at the wrong time. Let me give you a couple examples that Proverbs even mentioned. These are kind of bonus Proverbs. You're not going to find them in your bulletin. Proverbs 25, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. If you've ever suffered, you know what it's like for a very well-meaning person to overwhelm you with happiness as they almost sing advice to you, right? Very well-meaning, spiritual people, but they're so happy. They try to sing stuff to you almost with their advice. And for someone who's suffering, it only exposes your hurt and adds to it because you feel guilty for not being happy like they are. Or how about this one? Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, 
will be counted as cursing. All right, so the person who wakes up encouraging and singing at 5 a.m., that's what's being described here in Proverbs. That's counted as cursing, and aren't many of us glad that there's a proverb for that? So Proverbs gives us wisdom of there can be a right word at the wrong time, but it also gives us wisdom that there's something about a right word at the right time. Proverbs 25, 11 speaks to that. It's the first proverb there on your new sheet. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And Solomon, the author of Proverbs, what he has in his mind's eye here is the, the sort of perfect compliment, the right color against the right backdrop. Now, I live in a house with an art teacher, with an artist, so I have to know about complementary colors. That means that orange goes with blue perfectly. Green goes with red. All right, yellow goes with purple. And I'm supposed to know about these things, and these, this is what goes together so well. So when you see these colors, and you see them up here on the screen, usually your eye is very attracted to that combination. And Solomon saw this likewise, gold against silver. And it just fits so well. So also, there's something so pleasing, so attractive, about the, when the words we speak meet the needs of someone we love and that we care about. And when the words of someone we care about meet our needs so perfectly and they fit together like that puzzle piece. And it's beautiful, isn't it? And often rare. Now, Proverbs dispenses wisdom for two occasions more than any other. Occasions when, when it's so important for the right words to be spoken at the right time for the right need. And those occasions are self-harm and relational conflict. Now, many of us wish Proverbs gave us the right words for the right time about things like a job interview, right? Uh, a marriage proposal, public speaking. These have been things that we wish we had the right words for at the right time. But Proverbs instead speaks to when we see a brother or sister harming themselves with their own deeds and their own actions. And it speaks to relational conflict. When we're experiencing difficulty and tension with somebody else. So God's wisdom speaks about when to speak up on these kinds of occasions and how to speak up. The timing and the execution. So that's going to be kind of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the timing and execution of how to speak into self-harm, the timing and execution of how to speak into relational conflict. Not easy topics, but necessary if we really love someone. So first occasion that Proverbs speaks into is self-harm, unhealthy relationships, manipulative words, an explosive temper, withdrawing from people, escaping to a substance, becoming indifferent towards God. When you see a friend or fellow brother and sister harming themselves with their own doing, the Word of God says that speaking to that kind of person, speaking to the person in that kind of situation is often the means, often the means by which God will save that person. So there's a book in the New Testament that sort of mirrors the practical wisdom of the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and that's the book of James, written by Jesus' brother. And the very last nugget of wisdom that James offers in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, is this. His last words, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. So we see there's a, there's a noble purpose in catching someone and going after someone when they're wandering. Proverbs calls this a reproof, to give someone a reproof, which in sort of mo- modern parlance just means that you're using words, it's the use of words to call someone out. To call someone out and say, here's what I see and I'm worried. How many of us enjoy that kind of conversation, right? Anyone here? Probably not. There aren't many people signing up for the church ministry reproving team. Right? No one signs up for that ministry because no one looks forward to that phone call that they have to make. No one looks forward to setting up a coffee or a chat where you've got to talk about something hard with someone. And yet, when we hear about the possibilities expressed, the hope expressed by James, and doing this with, with wisdom and the right timing, it might means through which God saves someone from the self-inflicted harm in their life, from going down a path of destruction. We've got to take that seriously. So let's talk about, first, the timing in which you go after someone who is wandering. First, one of the things you can do to, to know if it's the right time to talk to a person in this situation is check your motivation. Proverbs 25.12, which is on your news sheet here, says this. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So if ch- uh, chapter 25, verse 11, was about the beauty of the right word at the right time, the complementary colors of the right word at the right time. Verse 12 is about the value of the right word at the right time. It's like a ring of gold or an ornament of gold, something very valuable. So a question here is, is approaching a person valuable to them or for you. Because the value of reproving someone, of calling someone out for something because you're worried about them, is supposed to be to a listening ear. The value is to that listening ear. Now, are you approaching them because their behavior bothers you or because it harms them? We're not called to go after someone just because they're annoying us, just because we don't like what they're doing because it bothers us, but rather because it's valuable to them. Here's another way you can tell if it's the right time to talk to someone who's harming themselves and going down the wrong path. Have you prayed? 1 John 5.16 says this, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, that Jesus, you know, that's the sort of unpardonable sin. We don't need to be distracted by that. If anyone sees his brother committing sin not leading to death, look at this promise. He shall pray and God will give him life. So there's something about praying into a situation where someone's wandering, someone's straying, and if you see that person keeping on going down that road, God says, if you just seek me in that, I will give that person life. Just this last year, I know of a dear person who I, I saw them hurting themselves and going down a path of destruction, and I knew I probably need to talk to this person. But before I did, I just prayed for them and spent a couple weeks praying for them. When I set the appointment to go have coffee with them and got nervous and got up the courage to speak to them about it, it turns out someone had already talked to them about it before me. (laughs) Just about a week and a half prior, right when the prayer started to get going, someone someone who was in a better situation actually already approached them. And they'd already started to change their life, change the patterns and their habits, which was awesome. God answers prayer. So check your motivation. Have you prayed? 
Finally, before you go and have that conversation, ask the question, have you majored in encouragement and help and especially in patience? When it, when it comes to talking to someone about something hard, I've used this little verse as sort of a, a test for good timing. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.14, which says this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. All right, that's having a hard conversation with someone. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So notice, first of all, Paul says here, brothers. Paul is speaking then to the whole church, not just the church leaders. In other words, the people who are supposed to have this kind of conversation are, is you guys, is us. Not that, just the elders, not just, not just Ryan, not just Brett, but, but, but everyone. We urge you brothers to have those kind of conversations. But first, ask the kinds of questions like, have I taken time to encourage the person? Have I, have I helped them? Have I supported their lives in other ways? And finally, have I just given it time? Have I been patient? The first half of Proverbs 25, verse 15, as you see there on your new sheet, with patience a ruler may be persuaded. And what should stand out to us about that proverb is even a ruler, I almost wish it was translated a little bit, even a ruler may be persuaded. Someone who's so self-assured, so confident, supposed to be so strong, but if you're patient with them, even though they might be stubborn otherwise, God can use that to, as a means of persuasion. Now, this isn't sort of a hard and fast checklist as if you're going down the line, but, but as you, you look down and you've, you kind of examine your motives, right? as you've prayed earnestly, as you've, as you've majored in high support, then it's likely time to finally have that conversation about that hard thing. So how do you actually execute that conversation? Well, Proverbs 20, verse 5 see that there on your sheet. It says this, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. So when you're going into a conversation about a person's sin, a person's wandering, the self-harm they're inflicting to themselves, we have to recognize that the purposes of a man's heart, a woman's heart, they're deep waters. And when Proverbs says heart here, it's not talking about all the Valentine's Day kind of stuff, right? Love me, email me, fax me on those little hearts, right? those sorts of things. I just remember the facts being one. I always thought that was interesting. It's really talking about, in the Hebrew understanding of the heart, was the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. In other words, it was the control center of the person. The Hebrew understanding of the heart was, was where decisions took place. So if we interpret that back into, into verse 5 here, decisions made, even harmful decisions, spring from a deeper well than we might think. Sometimes we just label it as bad, and I don't like that. But often it's more than that. Consider, for example, a friend who, who's once again, you found drinking too much, right? They're loose with their words. They're careless in their behavior towards the opposite gender. And you're there with them again. And it's easy to peg this as just straight hedonism or foolish behavior without considering why someone does this. Think about all the reasons people go into that lifestyle and, and, and go down that path. Maybe they've never been secure with how God's made them. And they actually feel that they function better as someone else. They feel better functioning in a different persona. Or, or maybe they have a history in their family of addiction. So there's a, a physiochemical allure to going out at night and drinking and indulging in that kind of behavior. Or maybe there's some hurt and shame in their life that they wish to bury down deep. And so they try to escape to drinking, to partying, 
to being loose with words whenever possible. So you see that if you were to approach the self-harm, it's just drinking or just a party problem, you would miss the deep down purposes of their heart. And that's what we really want to get to when we approach someone with a hard conversation. Proverbs, purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but it continues, but the man of understanding draws them out. So how do you do that? How do you draw out the purposes of a man's heart or a woman's heart? Draw out the purposes with good questions. That's one way. Draw out their purposes with good questions. And the best questions, by the way, you can ask are questions without a question mark. That gives people the most freedom to give you open answers. So, for example, tell someone, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about your behavior. But you know what? I love to hear what's really going on. That might not be easy to say, but it's a start. And it gives people license to open up about that. Or just ask, say to the person, talk to me about what brings you joy. Or share with me what's troubling you most. These are the kinds of things that can draw someone out a little bit more as you discuss with them what's going on in their lives. Secondly, another thing you can do is give a single dose of God's word. Consider that the person you're talking to and having a hard conversation with is unlikely to change on the spot. Will you leave them then with just another opinion among many, or will you leave them with God's word, which Isaiah 55 says always yields a return on investment? Always yields a return on investment. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. You don't want it to feel like you're preaching, and neither do they. So I think it's wise. But in my experience, what's been most effective is limit it to one verse or one story. Pray about it, think about it. Choose that verse, limit it to one verse, one story. Ask them to open the Bible with you and look at it together and then leave it there. But leave them with the word of God, which is described as a sword, something that can break into their lives. But don't overdo it. Be, be use wisdom in selecting how you're going to approach that. Thirdly, in terms of executing this kind of conversation, speak with a soft tongue. Check out Proverbs 25, verse 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. That's an odd comment, isn't it? A soft tongue will break a bone. Well, I think there's two extremes when we have this kind of conversation with someone, hard conversation, a conversation of concern for them, but when you're honest. One is you can overdo it. One extreme is you overdo it with your tone, with the amount of things you talk about, with the consequences, when you imagine all the consequences of the person's actions, or you can beat around the bush in the other extreme and can become kind of mealy-mouthed. But the gentle delivery of a straightforward word breaks a bone. The most rigid part inside a person, as some of the commentators put it, this suggests breaking the deepest, most hardest resistance a person can put up using a gentle tongue as you're honest with them. I think what happens is a person recognizes that it's given not out of frustration or anger, or self-interest, but they can trust the kind of word when you speak it gently. So, these are some ways, some, some ways we can execute that kind of conversation when we passively observe the harm another person is inflicting. Yet there are times when we also actively experience the harm someone else is inflicting. And that's when conflict comes into play. Another occasion to which Proverbs speaks, relational conflict, whether it's passive-aggressive, comments lobbed your way, boundaries repeatedly breached, neglect, exaggeration, absence, whatever it is, there's a conflict going on. When are we supposed to say something about it? And how do we know what we're supposed to say? 
Proverbs gives wisdom for this as well. First, for the timing. We're supposed to say something about conflict. Number one, when you're aware that someone has something legitimate against you. This is like a no-brainer. If you're aware someone has something legitimate against you, Jesus says you're supposed to go to that person. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. In other words, even if you're worshiping God, even if you're doing something you call super spiritual or religious, the more spiritual thing, the more right thing, the right response to worshiping God is to leave that gift and go and be reconciled. So if you're aware someone has a legitimate gripe against you, you know it's the right time to go to them about the conflict. Here's another way you can tell it's the right time to talk to someone in conflict. That is, you can't find a good outlet for what's going on on the inside. You can't find a good outlet for that inner conflict. Proverbs 10.18 says this, you look on your new sheet. The one who conceals anger has lying lips. And whoever utters slander, whoever utters slander is a fool. So what happens if you're upset with someone, or you're bitter with someone, and you see them at church, or at the coffee shop, or at work, and you never say something to them? You just walk by them, you say hello, and all the while you have bitterness still in your heart towards them. What happens? you just end up driving that bitterness down deeper, don't you? You just get more and more frustrated and more angry. And you end up lying, not only to the other person, but to yourself, saying that it's not a problem. Such a person has lying lips. So either that's going to be your outlet is just bearing it down deeper, or you find a less helpful outlet for your bitterness, somebody else. You talk about it with a friend, with someone you trust, but someone who is neither part of the problem nor the solution. And friends, that's called slander. So when you can't find a good outlet for that inner conflict inside of you, it might be time to have that conversation with someone. Thirdly, a way that you know that you're ready to have that conversation with someone that you're experiencing conflict with is you've identified the log in your own eye. Jesus says not to be a hypocrite, but he says this in Matthew 7, verse 5. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, examine yourself to see if there's any way that you've contributed to the conflict. And then be ready to share that with the other person. And when you do, when you're ready, it's time to go to that person. It's time to execute, if you will. And wisdom presents two options to execute this kind of conversation. Either you overlook an offense or you cover an offense. So first let's look at overlooking an offense. Proverbs 19.11 says, A good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. To, that means to deliberately forgive the person without ever mentioning it to them again. For some of us, that's hard to do. And you know that you're doing it right when the frustration with them goes away, right? And you don't bring it up again. So when Solomon says here, it is glory, that's elsewhere translated in the Bible as beauty. In fact, it's used in the book of Exodus to describe the tabernacle and the priestly garment that is beautiful. Overlooking an offense is a beautiful gift you can give that only God can see, right? No one else gets to hear that you did the right thing, that you took the high road, that you did the really noble deed and overlooked someone's offense other than God. 
It's one of those precious gifts you can give only to him and that he finds beautiful. So you can overlook an offense or you can cover an offense. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Let's not miss the fact here, by the way, that having this kind of hard conversation is seeking love for someone. It's seeking love for someone. To cover means to acknowledge the offense, but also doing something to bury it forever. How do we do that? How do you acknowledge that you felt wronged, but also with the other person, bury it forever? You go to the person first privately. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, to go and tell him his fault fault, between you and him alone. Now, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So go privately first to that person. Secondly, be specific about the offense. Avoid broad and generalized statements like, you always do this to me. You always exaggerate. You always make rash decisions. Why is that? I feel like anytime you talk to me, anytime you criticize me, when you make these broad, generalized, sweeping statements, it's not helpful. Be specific. Extend forgiveness to the other person with the intention of never again bringing it up. Look what the second half of that proverb says. that He eats a matter, separates close friends. So often after you forgive the person, especially in marital relationships, but also any close friendship, sometime later, when the person messes up again, what happens? Boom, you bring up the last time they did it. What does that do? It separates people. It drives a wedge between them even further. Why would you want to ruin the reconciliation that was done before? Finally, remember the goal. The goal when you approach someone in conflict is not to feel better, but to gain your brother and sister. If your goal in a confrontation is to make yourself feel better, to take away that, that knot that's in your stomach, if that's your goal, then nothing short of a full confession will ever do the trick. You don't want to get to the point where you're demanding that the other person confess excellency. Now, I know these are hard conversations, but they're necessary. And Proverbs says there's a time and a place for that. There are fit words for fit occasions. I've recently taken a heightened interest in um, aeronautics and flight. I've been reading um, the biography of the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, The First in Flight, a book by uh, David McCullough. And while reading this book, I was thinking back to a story I heard about a more modern pilot, named Chuck Yeager. He's a record-setting test pilot for the United States Air Force, or was a record-setting pilot for the United States Air Force. One time he was flying a F-86 Sabre near the Sierra Mountains on the west coast of the United States. And as he was doing so, he was doing this slow roll, because he was a test pilot, right? He'd do sort of fancy tricks in the air. And he felt his aileron lock. And if you ever looked out the window at the wing of a plane, an aileron is that little flap. That little mini wing that's coming out of the wing, it's a little flap that goes up and down. Have you seen that before? Okay. So it helps the pilot maneuver and even roll for more sort of sophisticated and faster planes. So Jaeger felt this contraption lock, and so he let off the G's, pushed up the nose, and sure enough, it would unlock. And it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to sort of unlock on its own. And he kept trying the maneuver, kept trying to roll and to roll at a safer height of 15,000 feet. But the same problem was occurring where the aileron would lock. And thankfully, he was an experienced pilot because it could be very deadly. So 
he looked more into this. He actually went to his superior and asked, why is this happening? He became aware of three or four pilots who had died trying to do the same role. But investigators up to that point couldn't figure out the saber's fatal flaw until they went further up the line and they figured out the problem. The culprit was found in a North American plant. A gentleman who was an older and experienced man on the assembly line who'd ignored instructions because, by golly, he said, I know that bolts are supposed to be placed heads up, not heads down. But his superiors, who were all younger than him, afraid to approach him, never confronted him, figuring that the problem would just take care of itself. And in a sad conclusion, Jaeger states that no one ever told that man just how many pilots he killed his action. Now, guys, there are people who leave our church who are on a path of death. What I mean by that is, is for our church in particular, and particularly for Sunrise, when people leave, it's not so much for other churches or other fellowships, other places of worship. It's oftentimes because they're wandering. They're wandering. They need a brother or sister to run after them. The church desperately needs people who refuse to think the problem will take care of itself, but instead courageously offer fit words to confront hard occasions. And guys, that's where real growth is going to happen in our community, around honesty and around reconciliation. And Jesus says the first thing to do is to get the log out of your own eye. So if you hope to be the kind of person who who courageously speaks up, the first thing you need to do is address the self-harm in your own life and the conflict between you and your creator. That happens only at the cross of Jesus Christ, which Paul describes as the wisdom of God. Think about for a minute with me what the cross speaks. It speaks two things. The cross first, what does it do? It reproves us. It calls us out. It says, you too are messed up. You also are messed up. And that's God's truth about us. But then the cross also reconciles us to a loving Savior. So it both reproves us, speaks a hard word to us, but also reconciles us to a God who loves us. And we want to say all the time that we want to see change to our spouse and in our marriage, to our kids and in our household, to our friends and in our relationships. Do we have the courage to be changed ourselves? The cross is God's honest reproof to my self-harm and his loving solution to my conflict with him. It's both. And you have to get acquainted with both words of the cross. The cross isn't just a word of love. It's a reproof of our lives. And you cannot know the heights of his love until you know the depths of your self-harm and your conflict towards him. Think hard with me for a minute how a personal encounter with the cross then shapes the execution of a confrontation with someone, the execution of having a hard conversation with someone. First of all, it allows the confronter to be vulnerable themselves about their own sin, even open to a finger being pointed back at you. And how many times does that happen in a hard conversation? Will you do this? Will you do that? You can say, yes, I know. I too am a sinner. Having a conversation through the cross, a hard conversation, the cross empowers a sacrificial attitude. Right? There's a, a willingness to walk the journey with someone to follow up with concern, to pray for them, to counsel. In other words, to go the extra mile with them because Jesus went the extra mile for you. 
The cross frees the confronter also from demanding a response. The person who approaches another person through the cross is so sufficiently secure in God's absolute love that he or she doesn't demand a response back. So often we want to get that response back, that our confrontation was effective, feeling that it justifies our actions. But the cross frees us up because it says, I've loved you. I've already justified you. There's nothing more you can do to earn my love. Let's pray. We want to be people um, who love others enough to have hard conversations with them. And we're so grateful that your word offers us wisdom that doesn't just leave us in the dark about giving the right words at these right but hard times, but that you give us wisdom about sometimes overlooking offenses, but otherwise bringing it up and making sure to conceal it, never to bring it up again. Gives us wisdom about using a gentle tongue Wisdom about drawing out the purposes of a person's heart. All this practical wisdom. But Father, I think the bottom line is we're going to confront people well when we ourselves are confronted by the cross of Jesus Christ. When we allow the cross to expose us for what's true, that we are a mess. That we need to be reproved. That we need to be told we have sinned against you. But also, your cross speaks a better word too. That we've been reconciled to a loving God. For all who trust in you, Jesus, we have been reconciled to a loving God. So I pray for all of us here, Lord, who know in their heart of hearts that they have to have a conversation. Today, this week, this month, help us go to the cross and be open, God, to what you have to say to us about our sin and our mess. And also receive the love that you have for us, the reconciling love that brings us to you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.